Hey, George Cedarquist here, host of Opera Box Score. All right, I know you want to get to the podcast, so I'm going to keep this short. Opera Box Score needs your donation to retain its title as America's talk radio show about opera. You can give on our website, operaboxscore.com slash donate. When you throw even 10 bucks our way, it helps us promote the show to more listeners. Just 20 bucks helps cover our website costs. Chip in 50 bucks and we can pay to wax Tobias's back. But for real, please consider a donation of any amount to help us continue to bring you our hot takes on everything opera-related. Operaboxscore.com slash donate. Enjoy the podcast. Live from Chicago, you're listening to Opera Box Score. Uh, Let's get ready to rumble! Wherever you are, however you're listening... Welcome to America's Talk radio show about opera, period. I'm your host, George Cedarquist, joined this week by guest co-host Mathen Black from Doing the Work, a podcast that explores the inner life of musicians and the work they do behind the scenes. Now, normally we're live right here on WNUR-FM Evanston, Chicago, but now that it's summer, our team is traveling or rehearsing or both. Or in Tobias's case, he's just sitting on the beach with a piña colada. Not to worry, you're going to get your OBS fix. This summer, most of our shows will be pre-recorded, but still released at their usual time. That's Mondays at 9 p.m. Central here on WNUR, and also as a podcast on iTunes. Over the next few months, you'll get all your favorite segments, plus some new ones, as well as guest interviews, a couple of solo shows from me, and of course, our team's hot takes on everything opera-related. Plus, you can still have your voice heard. Leave us a voicemail on 224-219-9-BOX. That's 224-218-9269. I think I said 219 earlier. 224-218-9269. You can also tweet us at Opera Box Score, write to us via Facebook, or at OperaBoxScore at gmail.com. All right, tonight, guest co-host Math and Black gets you ready for summer and becomes your personal trainer for opera festivals. You thought I was talking about swimsuits. We'll talk about what productions are a must-see, but first we recap the winners and losers of the 2017 International Opera Awards. Some of those results might surprise you. And of course, you get all your opera headlines and our hot takes on them in the two-minute drill. Got a lot to do on this show. I'm glad it's just you and me, Mathen. Oh, I'm very excited. So, uh, you know, we're doing the show in advance, although, of course, it's going out at its usual time, uh, recording at your studio in Wrigleyville. We've been playing baseball for about two months now. How sick are you of the Cubs? Oh, honestly, I'm sort of enjoying the Cubs, all the magic coming back. You know, it was such a special thing being here in this location, what we're like three or four big blocks away from Wrigleyville. Right. And being like d- down in the madness for the World Series was yeah. so much fun. And it, I kind of missed it over the winter. Plus, we're just south enough to not get all of the like crazy drunken things happening. So it's like the best of both do, worlds. Do you get puke on your doorstep or i have not yet seen any of the actual puking yet i have seen the remnants from the game the day before for me it would just be the stench of like a whole bunch of old style and miller light (laughs) i think you're absolutely right yeah i i don't i had a friend who was a bartender in wrigleyville and literally after opening day he was like god i hate the cubs and this is from a man who worked six months out of the year during baseball season and didn't work the other six months just because of the money he made yeah it's absolutely true i i do believe that anyone who works in the service industry in wrigleyville uh during the cub season can handle anything else that life throws at them they are absolutely prepared (laughs) let's talk some opera Chalk Talk on Opera Box Score. The International Opera Awards were in London earlier in May, and we talked about them last year. Now this is this is interesting. It's Opera Box Score, by the way. WNUR 89.3 FM. George Cedarquist along with Math and Black. They were founded in 2012, the International Opera Awards, as an annual celebration of excellence in opera around the world. So this is the fifth year. And there are awards given out in all sorts of categories, some which you would expect, best female singer, best male singer, 
along with Best Conductor and Director, even New Production and Opera Company has awards. But there's also awards for world premieres, recordings, young singers, newcomers, and choruses. We'll put a link on on our webpage, operaboxscore.com, to the Opera Awards. You can also check it out just right now, operaawards.org. I wanted to start, Mathen, with the category of female singer. Mm-hmm. Now, there were some interesting nominees in this category. One, two, three, four, five, six. And I'll be honest and say that the only name I recognized on the list was Anna Netrebko, and she ultimately became the winner. going up against Anna Trebko in this sort of category, what are you feeling? How do you think you can possibly compete? I, I actually think of all of these other Sopranos, I think probably most of them feel pretty competent in the in the category. I don't know all of these women, so I was doing some research the other day and listening to clips to see sort of what the level of singing is at. Mm-hmm. And if you're thinking about it purely from the standpoint of singing quality, technique, and artistry, all of these ladies are at the top of their game. Now, when you're thinking in terms of public relations and stardom, then Anna Netrebko stands head, head and shoulders above everyone else. She has has her own tea set named after her. Are you kidding me? It's called Aida. (laughs) That's amazing. Yeah, I think the perfume is probably not far behind as well. (laughs) Well, and you know what? Good for her. Like, if you get a little bit of the spotlight, use all of that to continue creating more opportunities for you to make awesome art. In general, there are American nominees in all of these categories. It is a European-centric awards ceremony i'm not going to deny that and in general a lot of these american nominees were shut out Mm -hmm. the one category that didn't happen in was male singer looking at this list of the six you got three americans lawrence brownlee eric owens matthew polanzani lawrence brownlee was the winner in that category how would you pick let's just take those three americans how would you pick between the three of them in your opinion I think for all of these people, you're looking for super high levels of artistry, but you're also looking for people who are helping to benefit the art form. As I was doing research on the International Opera Awards, it wasn't something that I was super familiar with. It's only been around for five years. It is centered in London. They partner, their media partner is Opera Magazine, which is like the European counterpart to Opera News. So, so much of it is happening across the pond and we're not necessarily familiar, but I think everything that they're looking for is who is helping to further the art form in all of these categories. And when you look at these people, I mean, Stefan Degu is mm-hmm. one of my favorite singers of all time. He's one of my favorite baritones mm-hmm. of all time. Eric Owens is so amazing. Matthew Polizzani is such a great singer. But when you think about the people who are outspoken about the work that they're doing, and not just doing the normal opera, but that they're also um, really trying to do outreach to further the art form, Lawrence Brownlee is the winner.
have, have I told you about running into him on the street the other day? No. Okay, so this was maybe a month, a month or two ago when he was here doing Yardbird okay. with Chicago Opera Theater. I was walking through the Gold Coast to go hang out with my wife, picking her up from work at the Rebecca Minkoff on Oak Street, and I just see Lawrence Brownlee walking towards me. And I go, oh my God, you're Lawrence Brownlee. And of course he had his earphones in so he couldn't hear me. And I'm sure I looked like the creepiest person in the world. But he stopped and he shook my hand and he was so kind. And he was here in Chicago doing a smaller new opera just to help make the art form go. Uh, it's an amazing thing. It's Opera Box Score on WNUR. I totally agree with you about this sense of advocacy, right? Lawrence Brownlee recently tapped as the artistic advisor at Opera Philadelphia. That's just the sort of position that you want a young, attractive, fantastic singer who's also African-American to be taking up. And it makes sense, that's to say nothing of his musicianship, that he would win the Male Singer Award. Absolutely. And I do have to go back. I was wrong. That wasn't with Chicago Opera Theater. That was with the Lyric Opera of Chicago. Looking at to some of these other categories, let's jump down to new production. Now, this category had a couple of nominees, including Philip Glass Achnaten, which on the website is listed at English National Opera, which is where it premiered, although it was also at Los Angeles Opera. Uh, a production of Shostakovich's Lady Macbeth of Mitsensk at the Bavarian State Opera, and another Shostakovich piece, The Nose, at the Royal Opera House in London. But the winner was actually the opera by um, Sariajo, the female Finnish composer, L'Amour de Loin, directed by Lebert Lepage at the Metropolitan Opera. There was a big deal about this, right? She was the first female composer to be at the Met in, was it even over 100 years? Mm -hmm. And I was surprised to read that this production out of that list an American production, in fact, the only American opera production that, that took place in this country was the winner. What do you think they saw in it that they liked? I think they're they're looking for, once again, innovation advocacy. And the big advocacy component that is here is the, the equivalency for women. Um, that's sort of an amazing situation. And for arguably the greatest opera house in the world to be taking a stance to empower not just female performers, not just female conductors, but also female composers is, it says a lot for the state of the the art form today and I'm actually very proud of them now I didn't get to see the show did you get to see the show I did not get to see the show I saw some photographs exactly it looked beautiful but I was I've not been able to hear the music as well and I'm really interested to see how that stood up against the rest of their season but it's a beautiful beautiful step for equality when you look at this list of new productions it almost reads like a list of modern and contemporary opera. Only one piece on this list, which was Verdi Giovanna d'Arco, that was uh, done at the Opera House in Parma. That is the exception to the rule. Otherwise, you're looking at Philip Glass, Janicek, Shostakovich, and Sariajo. I have to commend the International Opera Awards for tapping into this this movement, this modern and contemporary opera movement. It seems to be that this is what people are looking for. Everyone loves a great bohème. Everyone loves Puccini. Everybody loves Verdi. That's always something that we want to continue upholding and performing at the highest levels. But even with the Grammys this last year, with John Corigliano's uh, The Ghost of Versailles winning the Grammy for Best Opera Recording last year, it seems like people really are looking for new and innovative opera performed at the highest levels. As I said, you could be confused at looking at that list of new productions versus world premieres. This was a separate category. Obviously, for world premieres, all these operas are going to be 21st century pieces. The list. Thomas Addis, The Exterminating Angel. Missy Mazzoli, Breaking the Waves at Opera Philadelphia. Bright Shang, Dream of the Red Chamber at San Francisco Opera. Miroslav Srinka, South Pole at the Bavarian State Opera. Obviously, I was cheering for Missy Mazzoli. We have a connection with her mm -hmm. at Chicago Fringe. This opera, Breaking the Waves, was such a huge success, and her career is really starting to blow up.
It really is. Uh, one of my very good friends, Matthew Curran, uh, was in that production in New York. And then another friend, actually, if you want to learn a little bit more about him, Justin Werner, who's an amazing boutique agent in New York, he got to see this production. Mm-hmm. And everyone who sees it, all they can talk about is how magnificent the art making yeah. is. All of these productions, I think, were very successful. The one at San Francisco Opera, Dream of the Red Chamber, was based on this ancient Chinese folk tale this the production of south pole uh at the bavarian state opera the production photos of that are awesome it's like this literally all white set really it's it's just incredible but the winner was thomas addis the exterminating angel now he's an interesting composer british composer known for the tempest known for powder her face powder her face thank you and now the exterminating angel it premiered at the Salzburg festival it is a totally wacky opera it's based on a film by Buñuel Mm -hmm. I believe and I think it's coming to America do you know where it's coming to America oh I cannot remember you are accurate about that but I'm not sure where the production is going up cannot wait to see that production Uh, we should wrap this segment up Super quick, I just want to talk about the directing category near and dear to my heart. This is what I'm going to say. You look at this list. Robert Carson, Tatiana Gobeka, Nigel Lowry, Christoph Loy, Damiano Micheletto, Kilel Srebrenikov. How you compete, how you pick a winner at this level, I truly don't know. Math, and I asked you this before on the show, you know, how would you pick a winner between those male singers? From my point of view, all of these men and women, and it's great to see Tatiana Gubica on this list. She should absolutely be represented. I don't know how you pick a winner. Christoph Loy was the winner. This guy, I'm one of his biggest fans. He's been directing opera since 1990. He is all over the place, primarily in Europe, primarily in Germany. I've only seen photos of his productions. I've never been in the same place. But they are so beautifully designed, so smart, and in that wonderful German style. My sense is, having seen uh, photographs or video clips, is that he just gets tremendous performances out of his actors. Just balls-to-the-wall performance. I would love this guy's energy, and I'd love this guy's career. It's fantastic that he won that award. Math and Black, final thought about the 2017 International Opera Awards. Yeah, final thought's actually a shout out. Um, Yesterday, while I was doing some research on this, I started listening through some albums, and the album that won Best Recording for a Solo Recital was Pretty Endes A Journey, which is actually on Spotify right now. So if if you're on Spotify, you can go and listen to that on the internet right this second. And it is spectacular. Winner of the festival... Uh, category by by the way was the Wexford Festival Opera in Ireland coming up next on our show Mathen and I take a look at America's Summer Opera Festivals and what you should see that's next on Opera Box Score from WNUR FM Evanston Chicago live from Chicago you're listening to Opera Box Score more right after this I wake up at 5 to give dad his medicine Every day I wake up at 5 to give dad his medicine. At 6, I make his breakfast. Every day I wake up at 5 to give dad his medicine. At 6, I make his breakfast. At 7, I shower. Every day I wake up at 5... For those caring for a loved one, we hear you. That's why AARP created a community to help us better care for ourselves and the ones we love. Visit aarp.org slash caregiving. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Chalk Talk on Opera Box Score. It's Opera Box Score on WNUR FM Evanston, Chicago. George Cedarquist here with Math and Black. Hi. And we're getting into the summer mood now. The team is traveling. We're coming and going. As I said at the top of the show, don't panic. You are going to get your weekly. OBS installment. We're pre-recording some of our shows, but they're all going to be released at their usual time live on WNUR FM Evanston, Chicago, Mondays at 9 Central. You can also check out the podcast on iTunes. And yes, you can still call in to the show. You just leave us a voicemail, 224-218-9-BOX. That's 224-218-9-BOX. 
9269. Well, a discussion of summer mathin would not be a discussion without talking about summer opera festivals. Mm-hmm. And right now, we're not interested in talking about summer programs. That's for another time. What I want to look at is some of the opera festivals in America, and specifically looking at an article on operawire.com, which is about their top 10 list. You can go to the link on our website, operaboxscore.com. Side note, I've started reading the Opera Wire site more and more. I don't know why I missed it for so long. Have you spent any time on it? I have, and it's only through, uh, actually, you're the one who introduced me to this publication. Yeah. It's it's strange sometimes, you know, we have access to all of the information in the world on our computers, but knowing where to find reputable information about the things that we care about is always an important thing. So I go to Opera uh, Wire, I go to Slipped Disc, I go to the Opera News website, as well as Opera Magazine website. You can really keep track of what's happening all across the seas from doing that. Did you know that even BuzzFeed has an opera wing to it no yeah in a little um quiet moment in one of your days you could it doesn't get updated more than say twice a month because i mean it's opera yeah and buzzfeed but man opera clickbait (laughs) maybe we should go be contributors to them that's how we'll finally make all of our money right for my money santa fe is the granddaddy of them all Mm -hmm. i for years, I've been trying to to get onto the uh, <laughs> assistant directing staff at Santa Fe. And one of these days, it's going to happen. I just, I mean, you look at the photos, you look at the setting of an opera house in the middle of New Mexico that has that it open sides. And I think even the back of it is mm-hmm. open as well. So you're kind of looking out onto a mesa. Am I right here? Yeah, you are right. Cactuses and all that. Desert. The big story, I would say, coming out of Santa Fe this summer is the opera, The Revolution of Steve Jobs. It doesn't quite translate when you say it, but that second word is written as revolution and also evolution. Opera, of course, about Steve Jobs, the founder of Apple. It's directed by Kevin Newbery, composed by Mason Bates, and the libretto by Mark Campbell. Mathin, why would you want to see this show? The premieres, the world premieres that Santa Fe does are always at the top of the premiere game. They have the resources and they have the talent to do these kinds of things right, to see them through to their real end of the vision. Plus, with that setting being out in the desert in the open-air opera, they've created a beautiful product, and they can apply that to all of their world premieres. Uh, They did an Alice in Wonderland a few years ago that was the same way. There have been operas in other other non-traditional opera languages like Chinese sorts of fun things where they can flex their premier new opera muscles and they always do that well so you know if Santa Fe is going to do a world premiere you're in good hands and it's going to be a great quality then you put people like Mason Bates and Kevin Newberry and Mark Campbell involved and you know it's probably going to be one of the best things to see all year let alone all summer that's not even to start to talk about the cast Edward Parks as Steve Jobs Sasha Cook who I have a huge crush on as Laura Powell Jobs, Michael Christie as the conductor. I mentioned Kevin Newberry directing the production as well. There's a lot more, of course, happening at Santa Fe this year. They do, they do some standard rep, of course, but man, they get some big directors in. Lucia de la Mermor is being directed by, wait for it, I've got to search in my head who it's going to be directed by, Ron Daniels with uh, Mario Chang as Edgardo, Zachary Nelson, oh, Christian Van Horn mm-hmm. as Raimondo. That is a, uh, that's kind of a thankless role, in my opinion, in Lucia. The thankless roles are the most fun. You come on stage, you sing your music, you walk off stage, you eat, you drink, you get that paycheck. I think Christian's going to have a blast <laughs> with that. Also, Alcina which that was one of the first operas I ever assistant directed. Really? It was when I was doing the directing fellowship at Wolf Trap. And uh, it was definitely the first Handel opera Mm -hmm. I ever did. And it was funny because initially I was like, oh my God, this music is so dull. And the more and more (laughs) you listen to it, it's like a drug. Yep. That, That music is like a drug. And you could just listen and listen and listen. Flatermouse as well coming up. 
that starts at the end of June. I wonder what they're going to do with Flader Mouse. Yeah, I wonder if it's going to be more traditional like most Flader Mice. Flader Mouses? Flader yeah. Mice? How do you say that, plural, when you're talking about the opera production? Flader Moisa? Flader Moisa. <laughs> I love it. I, I think it will be a traditional production, but the singing is going to be stellar. Directed by Ned Canty, the general manager at Opera Memphis. That is one smart guy. He has absolutely turned that town into a hotspot for opera, for contemporary opera, for pop-up opera and micro-opera. Micro it's a great opportunity for him. Looking forward to that very much. I got to start by saying Santa Fe. Mathen, if I throw it over to you for your favorite American summer opera festival, where are you going to want to go? Um, if, if I were going to make a trip to one of these places, I would probably go to St. Louis, to go to Opera Theater St. Louis to see mm -hmm. Grapes of Wrath. Um, the Ricky and Gordon Opera is amazing, and it's been around for a while. It's made the rounds. You see it at college productions. You also see it at professional places. But I love seeing works uh, at Opera Theater St. Louis. St. Louis also happens to have my favorite barbecue restaurant in the entire nation, Pappy's Smokehouse. So <laughs> any chance I get to combine my two passions, opera and barbecue, you know I'm going to do that's it. A, that's a thing, right? St. Louis barbecue. Yeah. Isn't that like a thing? Yeah. Oh, magnificent. What do, do I, what do I need to know about St. Louis barbecue? It's all about the smoke and the sauce, man. Smoke great, sauce. really great ribs, good brisket, burnt ends are a real big thing at Pappy's and you get your choice of different sauce flavors, a little bit of spicy heat to it. Match that with some beer and some depressing opera and I'm all about it. Dude, you are making me hungry. <laughs> if I went to Santa Fe, excuse me, if I went to St. Louis, I would want to see the American premiere of The Trial. So this is an opera based on the Kafka short story. Four people in the cast, directed by Michael McCarthy and conducted by Carolyn Kwan. That, I think, would be an interesting take. I mean, when you get to work on Kafka, you and I, of course, did In the Penal Colony. Another Philip Glass Kafka Compilation. Exactly. There's just something about those two gentlemen that just seems to go together. The seriousness of both of them is a, is a great pairing because the music really does justify the absurdity of the action, but also the seriousness of it as well. Now, these productions are actually happening right now as we speak at Opera Theater St. Louis, both Grapes of Wrath and The Trial. And I have a few friends there being apprentices uh, okay. right this second. Yeah. So I've been able to see pictures and hear what yeah. people are talking about behind the scenes of these two productions. It's just magnificent. Magnificent work. Yeah. Just magnificent work. Titus is what they're calling La Clemenza di Tito by Mozart. Again, uh, conducted by Stephen Lord, who has a long-term association with Opera Theater of St. Louis. Directed by Stephen Lawless, who's a fantastic American director. Uh, Clemenza di Tito, you know, was the first opera I ever saw. Were you a boy in Germany drinking beer? No, no. This is... This is, this is earlier than that this is when I was I was in boarding school it was at um, English National Opera yes And it was the most boring thing I think I'd ever seen. It was the first time I'd, I think I'd been into an opera house and like the seats were really itchy. But I remember that you could, you could put like 50 pence 
in a little deposit box and get a pair of opera glasses for yeah. the evening. I spent the entire time looking at um, the boobs of the opera singers. As you are wont to do. When you're in boarding school, yes. Or, exactly. you know, last week. It's no big deal. Let's go back to the Glimmer Glass Festival, Cooperstown, New York. Always something interesting to offer. And one of the things they're doing this season is a rarely performed opera by Donizetti called The Siege of Calais, directed by Francesca Zambello, the artistic director at Washington National Opera. And uh, soprano Lea Crocetto is singing the role of Eleonora. I don't know this Donizetti opera, although interesting enough, it feels like this coming season is the year for people to do the lesser known Donizetti. <laughs> Last week's show, we talked about New York City Opera is doing uh, Il Pigmiglione, the the Donizetti piece. Chicago Opera Theater is doing that exact same opera as well, along with Rita, which I have directed. That's, that's a funny little three... <laughs> Hander. Uh, but Glimmer Glass, I mean, they're always able to do really interesting work, unusual work. It feels to me, correct me if I'm wrong, Mathen, that summer festivals are a great way to try and push the envelope a little bit more and do work that's more conceptual. Would you disagree? Oh, no, I absolutely agree. You know, when you're dealing with like larger form seasons or even thinking about like the lyric, the lyrics putting on five shows, a lot of times they're overlapping in really big ways, plus all the other things they have going on. That's a huge, gigantic machine that is planned out five, six years in advance. You have smaller festivals that are generally supported by major donors, people who make their lives about their philanthropic work with these kinds of organizations. And they have a little bit more agility the able to try some new things and if the project doesn't do well or sell as many tickets as you want no big deal try again next year there's something about the mindset of the summer opera goer as well that is just a little less uptight Mm. and a little more relaxed and whether that is a first timer to the opera or whether that is a long time subscription holder all these american summer festivals all have subscriptions of course it just feels like people are a little looser and they're more willing to engage with pieces that are presented in a more contemporary abstract sort of way as you know on the show i'm advocating that throughout the year at all of America Opera Houses, but if the summer festival circuit is where that work is going to start, so be it. Glimmerglass, of course, also does a musical. Their musical this year is Oklahoma. Ooh. I don't know who is directing that. Uh, along with Porgy and Bess, the opera, too. Nice location, right in Cooperstown, New York, along mm-hmm. with the Baseball Hall of Fame. It's Opera Box Score on WNUR, George Cedarquist with Math and Black. We've talked about Santa Fe. We've talked about Opera Theater St. Louis. We've talked about Glimmerglass. Just looking at this list published by OperaWire.com, and again, link on our website, OperaBoxScore.com, I'm intrigued every year by the Mostly Mozart Festival, which is in New York. This really caught my eye. This is a production of Schubert's song cycle Winterreise. It's directed by Nettia Jones and stars tenor Ian Bostridge. Winterreise is a piece that, look, it's been staged many times before. That's not what unusual about this. Obviously, it's um, not Mozart. The festival is called mostly Mozart. Just fitting in the cracks, right? But I think there is something very theatrical about that song cycle that lends itself to being performed in three dimensions is what I'm going to say. So Mm. I don't mean just like on stage, like as an art song, like something where you're really playing, there's really a character and there's really a story that is directed and staged and designed. And it feels like Vinterreise is a great choice for this mostly Mozart festival. Let's throw it back to you for one final festival tip, Mathen. What's something else that you would want to go see if you weren't uh, raking in the money to pay the bills back here in Chicago? 
you know, any of these things are going to be absolutely fun. But if I if I wanted to see something else, I would want to see something new that I didn't know anything about. And so something like Sweets by Kate that Opera Rocks is putting on could be very, very interesting. There's another theme of inclusion in there with uh, LGBT rights and some other options. Plus, any chance to get out to New York and get to drink a little bit and have a fun watching some opera in the summer, it's going to do you well. That's the problem, though, man. New York is not much fun in my opinion, in the summertime, right? Like, so this is a city that has no alleyways. It's it's so old that it kind of predates the need mm-hmm. for alleyways. That means that all the trash goes on the curb and then like July and August, oh, it is just hot and, <laughs> and stinky. You know, it reminds me of Marrakesh. <laughs> of course it does, from your extensive time in Marrakesh. Yeah, that time when I was in prison in Turkey. <laughs> I love it. Uh, hey, let us know where you're going to go for your summer opera trip. And if it's just in your mind, that's okay, too. You could tweet us at Opera Box Score. Also, give us a call. Leave a voicemail, 224-218-9269. Or if you got letters on your phone, 224-218-9BOX. Hey, after the break... Our hot takes on everything you need to know from the past week in Opera Land. It's only an Opera Box score. WNUR 89.3 FM. Live from Chicago, you're listening to Opera Box Score. More right after this. Hey, George Cedarquist here, host of Opera Box Score, America's talk radio show about opera. Now I hear you say an opera ain't your thing, but get this. We tackle everything about opera and body slam it into a sports radio setup. The result? 60 minutes of in-depth analysis, outrageous opinions, and good, clean fun. You might even learn something. Opera class, sports radio crass. Join us for Opera Box Score Monday nights at 9 on WNUR. This just in, the two-minute drill. Time now for the fastest headlines in opera news. Everything you need to know from Opera Land in the past week, delivered in two minutes tops. Countertenor Anthony Roth Costanzo will celebrate Pride Month with Pride Without Prejudice, a special installment of New York City classical music radio station WQXR's event series called The Opera Party. Hosted by Costanzo, the evening will feature live performances and culinary spectacle by celebrated chefs. Heading overseas, the Glyndebourne Festival's chorus master Jeremy Bynes came from Berlin's Deutsche Oper and is leaving after eight years this September. The festival have replaced him with Nicholas Jenkins, the interim chorus master at Dutch National Opera. The first three Toulon performances of Gounod's Romeo et Juliette have been lost to a strike called by unions representing the orchestra musicians and chorus. Hey, off the disabled list, tenor Jonas Kaufmann, who's rehearsing the title role in Verdi's Otello at Covent Garden, he told the Royal Opera House website, quote, you need an enormous amount of experience to do this role. It's not so much the technical side of singing, but the challenge of losing yourself in the craziness of this character, pushing yourself to a limit where your voice might be harmed. I waited very long and I finally realized, if I don't do it now, when then? And over the weekend, we had some birthdays. Musical composer Frederick Lowe, born in 1901, while composer Mark Anthony Turnage turns 57. And we had some anniversaries of premieres. Carmina Burana by Karl Orff, premiered in Frankfurt in 1937. And Wagner's Tristan und Isolde opened in 1865 in Munich. That's your two-minute drill. Opera class, sports radio crass. This is Opera Box Score with George Cedarquist, Oliver Camacho, and all the way from down south, Math and Black. Opera Box Score on WNUR 89.3 FM, hanging out this evening with Math and Black. I'm George Cedarquist. Oliver, Tobias, Dinah, those guys are all. I don't know. I was going to say at the beach, but it's Monday night. So unless so the beach. S- what, are they skinny dipping? <laughs> yep. That's, that's probably what they're doing. Uh, kind of a quiet week in opera land, but a couple interesting things there. Well, 
Anthony Roth Costanzo, of course, countertenor, sang in that production of Achnaten that we were talking about earlier on the show. is one of the reasons Oliver is such a giant fan of his. Have you seen the images from this? Don't tell me. The man has no shirt on or something. No, the man is completely naked. Full frontal nudity. And not just this. I actually, I, I got sort of very interested in this. He went through a whole physical transformation to do this opera. We're talking extreme workouts. Okay. I read an interview where, him, where he did, um, he actually worked out using uh, physical therapy machines. Mm-hmm. Where basically he brought in a therapist to spray his entire body down with water. that uh, And put on a suit that had electrical conductivity in it. Okay. So it would like massage his muscles and he would do small workouts that. He said doing... Three sessions of that a week for 20 minutes was the same like workout as putting in 12 hours uh, a week in the gym. Whoa. Yeah, it's insane stuff, but he looked ripped for the performance. Plus, they waxed his entire body and shaved his head for this performance. And it, I mean, there was some real vulnerability there. And I think it added to the production. Wow. I, I'm still just kind of shocked about that electro treatment. It's crazy, right? That sounds really crazy. I mean, God forbid, I would I would never go to the gym. I, I'm on my bike and kind of, you know, biking around. You're you're a svelte lad. Well, you know, you, when you got kids and you keep picking them up and putting mm-hmm. them down, you, you kind of get your, your workout that way. Glyndebourne Festival, chorus master Jeremy Bynes moving on, replaced by Nicholas Jenkins. Have you ever sung in a professional chorus, Mathen? Not in a professional opera chorus, okay. though I am a member of the Chicago Symphony Orchestra Chorus. What do I need to know about the chorus master's temperament? Who are these guys? I think they're mostly guys. I'm sure there are some women, mm-hmm. but like, what drives them? I, I think musical excellence drives them and I think most chorus masters are going to come from a background of choral conducting so rather than symphonic conducting or even opera conducting there's there there has to be an ear and a technical prowess when it comes to getting voices and in in the case of opera choruses larger more operatic voices getting them to blend and focus on sensitivity to the music
I, I think especially when you're thinking about like the lyric opera chorus or the Chicago Symphony Chorus or any of the other choruses that were nominated for the International Opera Awards, you're going to have people who are trying to create music at the highest levels possible in their field, which just happens to be choral singing. What about how do they motivate and discipline such a big group of people? Do you know what I mean? I as, do. As a director, you're responsible for the principles. You're also responsible for motivating and, and disciplining the chorus. But when it comes to the chorus master, you spend so much more time with the choristers. In musical rehearsals, the chorus master is then usually in the room for the staging rehearsals as well. So how would a chorus master tackle that that relationship of motivation and discipline with such a group of people? I think there's lots of different perspectives. The same thing with business or any other group of people. You have a choice. Do you want to be a tyrant? Do you want to be someone who tries to tries to um, win affection? What are you looking for in terms of motivation? But I think at the higher levels, like these people that we're talking about now, or someone like Dwayne Wolf at the Chicago Symphony Orchestra, what you really have is you're, you're lucky to be in a room where everyone there, yes, we all like to goof off and party, but everyone wants to create music at the highest levels and we know in working with the chorus with the symphony chorus we know that the work that we do with Dwayne and Cheryl Fraser's Hill in the room to prepare the music is all about getting us prepared for the two rehearsals we have with James Levine or the one rehearsal we have with Ricardo Muti before we go in front of the whole world and try to make the best music possible. sense and I think you know if you are a chorus master those characters obviously they are representing you and god forbid they go in front of a big conductor mm -hmm. like Levine Muti Davis at Lyric Opera of Chicago and they blow it you know you do not want that no you to do not at all when I was in Pittsburgh the chorus master there became good friends with him he was very good at what he did his phrase in talking about choristers, and this was off the record, he would call them unidirectional sound devices. <laughs> and the reason he said that was not to denigrate those people. He used that phrase only in talking to the stage director or the assistant, who was me, when I was assisting there. Basically to remind directors that like, if they ain't facing downstage, you ain't gonna hear them. Yep unidirectional sound devices and it's it's still amazing you know when directors are staging big chorus numbers choristers aren't facing downstage directors are like i don't know why i can't hear them and it's like really you really don't know why you can't hear them <laughs> 80 people singing upstage you're just even then you're not going to hear it Jonas kaufman man we've been riding this guy for just months and uh he's always he's been on the disabled list for a while pulling out of this pulling out of that uh, pulled out uh, paris opera lohengrin um and now he's at the royal opera house in covent garden in london doing verdi's otello and i love this quote from him i wanted to add a little bit to it he went on to say quote Doing this role has to be done under the best possible circumstances. The Royal Opera House has always been a place where I felt very at home and the acoustic is good. It's not too big, but it still has a glory. Well, I definitely agree with the glory part. I mean, I've seen shows there, certainly, and it is very beautiful. I would say it was pretty big, Covent Garden. I mean, no, it's not as big as the Met. It's not as big as Lyric Opera of Chicago. Everything's bigger in America, mm -hmm. including the hamburgers. Mm -hmm. Um I, I mean, I wish him the best in this part. What, what was your take, Mathen, on when he was talking about the challenge of losing yourself in the craziness of the character and pushing yourself to a limit where your voice might be harmed? Surely it's the singer's responsibility to divorce the emotion from the technique and be able to communicate the story without ever putting yourself in harm. It 100% is our responsibility to do that. And I think that's one of the things that separates a truly great artist with longevity from 
I'm it's difficult to say something like a flash in the pan artist, but like I have been worried about Jonas Kaufman for years because he doesn't sound like a traditional tenor. He has a larger, darker tone of voice that sounds more like a baritone that has high notes. And anytime you hear something like that, my brain goes okay, bro, is that going to work for you for the rest of your life? Because you can have singers like Edita Gruberova who get to sing beautifully and perfectly until the day they die because they have mastered the technique and the emotions and when to divorce them and when to not divorce them. You and I have worked a lot of shows together and a lot of very emotional shows Mm -hmm. together. And this is something I fight through all the time, knowing when to really dig in emotionally and how far to let that affect the voice while still making sure to protect not just that run, but for somebody like Jonas Kaufman, like the the six years he already has planned out in advance. This is what I always say to young singers as well, is that the audience really isn't interested in what you, the performer, are feeling. Yep. That's not why they go to the opera. They don't go to the opera so that you, the performer, can have an emotional experience. They go to the opera so that they, the audience member, can have an emotional experience. And all that... Storm und Drang, all that drama that you're, quote, feeling up there on stage, it doesn't really matter. So there's really no justification, in my opinion, for why singers should put themselves in a place where they're damaging their voice in the name of emotion or in the name of, quote, character. I was just very surprised to hear Jonas Kaufman, of all people, who's got a track record of injuring his voice, coming out and saying something like that. And then trying to justify it with this of like, well, if I don't do it now, when then? It makes it almost sound like he's he's a little cagey about this and about, you know, if he can't do it now, is he ever going to really be able to do it? It seems like he's gearing up to quit. Yeah. That's what this sounds like. And that, yeah. would, be, that would be a real loss for the opera community. Yeah. I really hope he gets it together and figures out how to do that. Maybe that means scaling back his commitments. Maybe that means, you know, going back and studying with some new teachers or pedagogues or doing whatever he needs to do. But I love that voice and I want it to be healthy for another 40 years. It's Opera Box Score on WNUR 89.3 FM. George Cedarquist with my guest co-host Math and Black this week talking through the two-minute drill. A couple uh, anniversaries over the weekend. Frederick Lowe, of course, of the team of Learner, Learner and Lowe. Lowe. Uh, great compositions include um, Camelot. Uh-huh. Yes. And, oh God, I'm going to say Brigadoon and now I'm thinking Is I'm Kiss wrong. Me Kate theirs as well? I may be wrong about that. Yeah. And what about... Um, Carousel, uh oh, we're we're floundering, Mathen, on the rocks of. We're into we're here. into territory where we are no longer this is, experts. This is, this is bad. We better move very quickly to Mark Anthony Turnage, the bad boy of English opera from the eighties and the nineties. Who is this guy? I don't know anything about him. He wrote Greek. Is that's uh, his famous opera, which is a, a version of the uh, Oedipus story. Okay reimagined through sort of 80s punk London nice. basically he he's an he's an awesome guy uh and some anniversaries of course Carmina Burana which premiered in Frankfurt in 1937 and launched a generation of vampire and werewolf movies yep, horror movie soundtracks horror movies. yeah exactly but why like cuz when you look at the text like the text is actually very body Like, it's very profane. Mm -hmm. These stories are about, like, drinking and womanizing, and yet it's become this piece of of the horror film. Is that purely because of the sound? I think it is because of the sound. I mean, think about, like, Psycho and the kind of sound that's still very bum, 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 bum. like there's there's something sonic there that's happening that makes it seem a little bit jarring but i mean there's there's a long history of horror movie scores using classical music uh even using church modes the dacea from mozart like all of these different things yeah. are they there's an ominous sound that i don't think is created by anything better than um orchestral scoring the piece is misleading too because while the opening number of carmina barana does have a certain uh, weighty... Sinister nature. Sinister. Perfect word. Feel to it. The bulk of that piece is like these like beer hall songs, yep. you know? 
I always get sad when people program Carmina Burana because Orff wrote six or seven operas. Uh, Die Kluge. Die Kluge, which, which I've been which in. you have done. Uh, Der Mond, which I was uh, an assistant director on in Germany. And a handful of others. These are just fantastic operas. They're all based on, um, you know, German folk tales and myths and legends. They're, they're lots of fun. All right. Let's wrap this show up. Good call, bad call on Opera Box Score. Oh, it's been a great night with you, Mathen, here at WNUR. Thanks for hanging out. Thanks so much for having me. I always love when I get to come out and kind of hang out and uh, Good times. Good call, bad call, something great from the past week, maybe even from the opera land and something terrible. What do you got this week, Math? And you got a good call or a bad call? I've got a bad call this week. Go ahead. One of those things that we glossed over in the uh, in the two minute drill the the uh, strike that made the first three performances at uh, Toulon uh, for the Romeo and Juliet that mm-hmm. made miss out on those performances. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know much about what goes on behind the scenes there, and at most opera companies, if you've ever been a part of contract negotiations, it gets scary and rough really quickly. And so I, I'm I'm never going to put blame on any sides because you never know how those negotiations are going to go. But any time that the business or the, the profitability or numbers get in the way of art making from both sides, from the administration or from the orchestral musicians and choristers, that's just a shame when we can't solve the problems to make the art happen. Well, here's my good call then. And if they were doing more of this in Toulon, they'd be happier, which is barbecuing. Of course, summer's here. Get that grill going. Um, man, brats, chicken, fish hamburgers ribs i just i love barbecuing and that is my good call is that it is time to get that grill going absolutely hey that's it for this week's show our announcer is norm waddell visit norm on the web at voxershorts.com v-o-x-e-r-s-h-o-r-t-s.com the general manager at wnur is nick anderson our theme song is vodka inferno written and performed by the diablo swing orchestra on Facebook, search for Opera Box Score. Actually, have you liked our Facebook page yet? So do it, and then share and comment on our posts on Twitter. We're at Opera Box Score. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Help promote our show by leaving a review. The creative consultant for Opera Box Score is Oliver Camacho. For my co-host, Mathen Black, I'm George Cedarquist, asking you to continue the conversation about opera wherever you are this summer. We're back on Monday, June 19th more insider opera and our hot takes on it argo radio is up next this is wnur fm evanston chicago chicago sound experiment <laughs>